Today, we are going to be continuing in our study of Luke. Uh, We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, looking at verses 1 through 10. And I've titled today's sermon, The Value of Lost Things. The Value of Lost Things. And, And as you're turning there, a question for you. Have you ever lost something? Whether it's your keys or your wallet or your, in, in, in our case, with Ella, uh, driver's permit. And, and it may be whatever you've lost is not to the world something valuable, but to you it is desperately valuable. And you need to find it and you tear up your house looking for it all over the place. Well, I've done that so many times it, it's hard to keep track. And I remember as a kid... I had this dream, this desire, this invention in my mind that if, if I could create some something like uh, goggles that you could put on that would turn the whole world black and white, except for the single object I was trying to find, it would still be in color, then I could just look around my house and I could just see whatever's in color is what I'm trying to look for. And of course, uh, to this day, I still dream of that when I've lost my keys or something else like that. So that invention has not yet come to pass, but I am thankful for other things that uh, uh, have been invented to let us find things that we've lost, like the tiles that you can attach to your keys that you just ping and it rings and you go find where your keys are. Or in my case, I have an Apple Watch. It attaches to my phone and I can ping my phone. And now I've gotten very lazy. So if I just have, I, I don't know where I've set my phone down and I don't even think to look for it. I just ping it wherever it is, go find it instead of having to search for it. So we are at least getting more convenient on finding lost things. And that's what we're going to be looking at today in our scripture, seeking lost things. So if you have found Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10 in your Bible, if you would please, wherever you are, if you are able to, please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. It says this, All the tax collectors and the sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told him this parable, What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance." Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this day and the opportunity to once again open up this word of life and see into it and listen to it and hear it and apply it to our hearts. Father, I pray that this morning, Lord, that you would speak and, Father, the value of those who are lost would become desperately important to those of us who are saved, but, Father, also to those who are far away from you, if they are listening today, that they would know that you are the seeking God and that they are extremely valuable to you. 
Father, I pray that you would rend hearts. Lord, that you would till soil this morning. And Father, that they would see the preciousness of your son who would bear up every lamb on his shoulders. And Lord, I pray that even now the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And Father, I pray this in the sweet and the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Well, the first thing as I look at our text today that I see, and there are four things that I see in the text this morning, is this. First thing I see is the failure of the Pharisees. The failure of the Pharisees. You see, at the beginning of this, as we look in Luke 15, 1 and 2, it says, all the tax collectors and the sinners were approaching, listening to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So we have to understand what's going on in in this scene, is that Jesus is obviously eating and commiserating with tax collectors and sinners. And it's interesting the way that phrase is, tax collectors and sinners. Note that tax collectors come first. You see, tax collectors in the ancient world were uh, considered the, the worst of the worst. And in fact, in Jewish culture, even more so. I mean, they were hated universally, but in the Jewish culture more than any others because what you had to do to become a tax collector is you had to bid on becoming a tax collector. You would bid to Rome and say, look, I can collect this much money from the people. And so the Roman government would give you that bid and whatever you collected, you were able to take some off the top and keep for yourself. So they were understood to not only be uh, swindlers, But as far as the Jews were concerned, they were also considered to be traitors, that they had sold themselves to the hated, oppressive Roman government, and now they were oppressing their own people by taking money from them. They were desperately hated. And then you go on, and you have this other term, sinners. And sinners were the unclean of the land, the amha arets the people of the land, just those, in in this word in the Greek would mean those who are filled with sin. They were unclean, unwanted, they were dirty, and the Pharisees had nothing to do with them. But notice what's going on is that these tax collectors and these sinners, these outcasts who have not had anything to do with God up to this point, not only did they not want to, but the Pharisees wouldn't let them, they seek after Jesus and they have a, approached him, and they want to listen to what he has to say. And now they are dining with him. He is going to them in their spaces where they are, and he's interacting with them, and they want to know more about what this man Jesus has to say. It's the first time a rabbi is bringing them the word. And so they are listening to them, to him. In fact, not only are they listening to him, Jesus is doing what he's commanded us that we're going to see in a little bit. He's making disciples of them. We see in Matthew 9, 9, early in his ministry, that Matthew is a tax collector. And he comes and he becomes a disciple of Jesus. And so we see from there the complaint that the Pharisees give. They don't like Jesus mingling with these sinners. They're complaining and grumbling, saying he welcomes them, and he dines with them. And, of course, the complaint that they're giving there is saying that Jesus himself, as he seeks after these sinners, these tax collectors, that he, this so-called rabbi, is making himself unclean. He is making himself worthless. And see, 
for them, the Pharisees, they understood and, and in fact taught, and, and as they looked at Scripture, they were making sure that they did not even associate with the sinful. The sinful maybe wanted to come to them and speak and hear. Maybe they would entertain, but they would not in any way, shape, or form going out towards the sinful because it would make them unclean. So God's word was for the clean. It was not for sinners. You didn't associate with them. And so they detested Jesus for doing this because the Pharisees themselves, in their holiness and in their righteous mind had turned inward and become judgmental of the sinners around them. In fact, they had abandoned being the shepherds that they were called to be. And so Jesus, in this parable, tells them of a shepherd and asks them a rhetorical question in the parable. He says, what man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. This rhetorical question would be answered, of course, in the affirmative. Of course I would go and find my sheep. And so not only is he asking a rhetorical question, he is laying on them their failure as shepherds. In fact, if you would, turn with me to Ezekiel 34. We're going to spend a little bit of time in there this morning, Ezekiel 34. We're going to see just how badly the Pharisees had failed at being shepherds. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 9 says this. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend to the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, banded the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for a lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals while they were scattered. My flock went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and there was no one searching or seeking for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. Because my flock, lacking a shepherd, has become prey and food for every wild animal. And because my shepherds do not search for my flock, and because the shepherds feed themselves rather than my flock, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. See, in Ezekiel 34, there's a prophecy saying that those who were to care for the people of Israel had abandoned it. They had turned inward. And they were feeding themselves off of the fat of the flock, but they were in no way, shape, or form taking care of the flock. The shepherds had abandoned their duty, and God says, Woe unto you, shepherds who have stopped doing this, who have turned inward and have judged the sheep. Because you judge them, they scatter, and they're over every high hill. These are my people, and they are dying, and you are allowing it to happen. So listen to me, O shepherds. Hear the word of the Lord, and woe unto you for abandoning the task which I have given you. And see, this was the Pharisees that he was speaking of. 
They had stopped being the shepherd that God had called them to be because they determined that they themselves were righteous and they had wanted nothing to do with the unrighteous. And yet they would glean whatever from what the, the people would give them. But they turned inside their synagogues. They turned inside the temple. And they fed themselves and let the people die around them. They had neglected their duty by turning too inward in their worship. And this is a warning to us as a church to not be so inward focused that we forget the lambs that are out there. So the Pharisees, the failure of the Pharisees, they had given up their rightful place as the shepherd. And the second thing I see this morning is the seeking Savior. The seeking Savior. Verses 4 through 6. Again, what man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and his neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And again, in verse 8, or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. See, Jesus is saying, who among you wouldn't go search? And of course, they recognize that they haven't done that, but then something else is going on is that Jesus is getting ready to fulfill the next prophecy in Ezekiel. Turn back there with me, Ezekiel 34. Let's look at 10 through 13 and also 21 through 24. This is what the Lord God says. Look, I am against the shepherds. I will demand my flock from them and prevent them from shepherding the flock. The shepherds will no longer feed themselves, for I will rescue my flock from their mouths so they will not be food for them. For this is what the Lord God says. See, I myself will search for my flock and will look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day uh, uh, on the day he is among his scattered flocks, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and total darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them to their own soil. I will shepherd them out of the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in the inhabited places of the land. Now, turn with me to verses 21 through 24. He says this, since you have pushed with flank and shoulder and butted all the weak ones with your horns until you scatter them all over, I will save my flock. They will no longer be prey, and I will judge between one sheep and another. I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them, and he will tend to them, as, and himself will be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So God says, since the shepherds wouldn't take care of the flock, he says, I will. I will be their shepherd. And I will send my servant David, the one who will shepherd my flock, since you have abandoned doing this. And, of course, that prophecy is fulfilled even in the reading that we see today that Jesus is that shepherd. He is the great king on the throne of David 
who is seeking after the sheep. And see, what's amazing about this is that all the rabbis of the day would recognize and understand that God would receive anyone who would repent. But what was so mind-blowing for them at this moment is that there was no thought that it would be God who would actively seek after the sinner. That it would be God himself who would gather his flock and move amongst those thought to be sinful. And of course, that's what he did. He sent Jesus. And Jesus says, I go out. There are 99 in the field, but one is missing and I go out and note that in both cases in 15, when it is either the sheep or it is the lost coin, the phrasing is the same, search until it's found. Search until it's found. Both the shepherd and the woman show the extent of their search, that the shepherd goes wherever the sheep is, goes over hill and dale and to crag and a rock and on high hill and finds the sheep. And the woman, it says that inside the house, the coin has fallen and she will light a candle because the houses had no windows. She will light a candle and she will search and sweep the whole house clean until she comes to that one coin. There's a great search for this. The Savior goes to links that no others will to find his sheep. And what's beautiful about this is once he finds that sheep, He doesn't just throw a rope around its snout and drag it home. No, that sheep is wounded. It's lost. It's been out in the wilderness and and under the threat of wolves. No, the shepherd grabs the sheep and puts it on his shoulders, holding it tight and carries that sheep back home. See, that sheep doesn't have to do it. The shepherd gladly takes the sheep on his shoulders. And this beautiful image of a beautiful Savior that comes to find us and picks us up in our lost state and puts us over his shoulders and securely takes us home was one that permeated the early Christian conscience. And so much artwork that you see from the first, second, and third century is of the shepherd carrying the sheep Because each one recognized I was that sheep that was lost. He carried me home. He carried me and bore me up on his shoulders. And friends, let me tell you today, he never stops carrying you. Even in today, in times of anxiety and stress and worry and doubt and what's going on in our world, know for certain that our Savior still carries you on his shoulders. Through all the dangers and toils and snares, our shepherd guides us home. Psalm 28.9 says this, Save your people, bless your possession, shepherd them, and carry them forever. Isaiah 46.4, I will be the same until your old age, and I will bear you up when you turn gray. I have made you. And I will carry you. I will bear and rescue you. All the days of our life, even until we turn gray and are old, our Savior still has us on his shoulders. 
and carries us through every danger of this life. So know in coronavirus, you are carried by the Savior unto safety. And so today, we we need to celebrate our Jesus who seeks us, our Jesus who saves us, our Jesus who carries us home for all the days of our life. So we see the seeking Savior. The next thing I see is this, the value of the lost. The value of the lost. And we can see that in verses 6 and 7 and 9 and 10. He says, who doesn't go out? And find that sheep in verse 6. And coming home, he calls his friends and his neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. And then verse 9, And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. See, both persons in the parable are the same. Once the object that was lost is found, there is a great rejoicing. It's not just coming home, thumbs up, found. It is, I call all my neighbors and let them know that which was lost is now found. My sheep is found. My coin is found. And not only that, he says, this this is what's going on in heaven, that God calls all the angels, and the angels rejoice. One more has come back to the fold. That which is lost is now found, and all of heaven sings and rejoices over the lost one. Think about that. That's the value of the lost. All of heaven rejoices. All of the angels, the multitude, the armies Praise God for the one who was lost and is now found. See, this shows the value of all of us. The value of all of us is found in the searching, right? See, when you look at the text here, there's so much effort that's put into the finding of the lost item. See, if you, if you were to have just a cursory glance at this, You would look and say, well, you've got 99 sheep. One that's lost is not that much of a big deal. When you look at the profits and the margins, one sheep, if it's gone, it's it's not going to really impact you that badly. And when you look at the the woman who has these 10 coins, those silver coins were actually not worth very much. They were considered to be a drachma, which was maybe one day's wage. And so she has 10. She loses one. Has she, in, in the whole scope of the economic situation, is that a lot? No, if you're on the outside and you look in, you say, no, that's not a lot of value. But see, the value is not attached to what the market says it is. The value is attached to the one seeking it. And for the shepherd, it is of utmost importance to find that sheep. And for the woman, it is of utmost importance to find that coin. I'll give you a quick illustration of that. In our uh, isolation and, and, and having to socially distance and trying to get some exercise, I've picked back up disc golf and uh, gotten my, my family involved in it. And so disc golf is essentially you just, you have discs. It's, it's not Frisbees, really. Each disc is different, just like you have different drivers and putters and everything else. But they, they all fly a little bit differently. They're all weighted a little bit differently. But as you can see, I have this one right here. This is one of my favorite discs. And it was given to me by a friend many years ago when he and I played uh, all the time. And so yesterday, or I guess it was Friday, 
Heather and Ellen and I went to a brand new course and we were playing. And so I teed off on the first hole with this disc. And as you can see, it seems colorful right now, but you can kind of see through it and it's got this pattern. Problem with this disc is that in leaves, you can't really see it. It, it blends in really, really well. And so I lined up my shot and I just winged this thing. And it was a par three, so it, I didn't need to throw as hard as I did. And so I overshot the, uh, the, the chains by a country mile. And then it took a bad skip, and it went way, and I, I couldn't see it. It was on a curve. I had no idea where this disc went. And so what do you do when you lose a disc? You go and you try to find it. And so my girls, as they've thrown, they've thrown very colorful discs. They found theirs immediately, but I am tromping all through these woods and these leaves trying to find my lost disc. And I didn't want to give up on it. It's one of my favorite discs. And so I'm looking everywhere, and I can't find it. And we got people lining up on the tee box, and I finally just say to them, play through, play through, I've got to find my disc. And so then I ask Heather Nella, come with me. Help me find my disc. And so we go out into a search pattern, and we're trying to find the disc and trying to find the disc. And two groups of people came and played through while we were searching for my disc because I didn't want to abandon it. Yes, I've got plenty of other discs, but this one's valuable to me. And so we searched, and we searched, and we searched, and my bride found it. I wasn't looking in the right place, but I'm thankful that she was searching in a certain area, and she said, look, here it is. And it was leaning up against a barbed wire fence. One more, well, I'd say six more inches, and it would have gone through that fence, and I wouldn't have been able to get it. But she found it. I have it, and I show it to you today. But I was not going to abandon that search, even though there was pressure to move on. You've got plenty of discs. People are waiting. No, I wanted my disc. No one else cares about this disc, but I do. And its value is expressed in my searching for it and who I called to help me find my disc. And that's your value. In the eyes of our Lord and Savior, you are extremely valuable to him. And so he wants to find you. It doesn't matter what the world says about you. You are exceptionally valuable to our God. So much so that he personally seeks you. And we see the extent sweeping a house clean, lighting a candle, going over mountains to find you. We need to remember in the church and outside of the church, that everyone is valuable to God. Everyone is valuable to God. In fact, the only difference between the sheep who are in the pen and the sheep who is lost is just their position. They are no different. It's still sheep. It's still a coin. The only difference is their position. Some are safe and some are lost. But their value does not change. Only their position. And so it behooves us to seek after the lost. See, our attitude should be the same as Jesus and not like that of the Pharisees. See, they grumbled when Jesus sought the lost, but the angels celebrated when Jesus sought the lost and brought them home. And so that's the fourth thing I want to point out today is that we need to be faithful followers. We need to be faithful followers of our 
Savior. And we need to have the same attitude in us as was in Christ. And we need to seek the lost. See, this is how this parable speaks to us today. It does two things. It speaks to us today by having us to recognize and rejoice that we are found and carried home. But there's a second thing that we should see in this parable today is that we need to recognize that we are to faithfully imitate our Lord. We are to faithfully imitate our Lord and do as he did. Three scriptures that point to this specifically. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, that which we all know. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of this age. 2 Corinthians 5, 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then can they call on him who they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of the shepherd who finds the sheep. See, we are called to be ambassadors. We are called to follow after our Lord and Savior. We are not called. The, the, the obvious emphasis in this parable is don't be a Pharisee. Don't be a Pharisee that clump together and feed themselves and let the sheep die. So no, 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 no. Be like the shepherd. Go and make disciples. See, what's beautiful on Matthew 28 19 and 20 is reaching back to Matthew 9, is that Jesus, because he went and he was among the sinners, he made a disciple of a tax collector who would go on to write a gospel. See, we need to do this. This is our call. And we need to be woe in our own spirit when we are judgmental of our brothers and sisters who go to the places where sinners are to make disciples of them who invite sinners into their home and make disciples of them. We are to mirror our Savior in this way. And what a prime time to do it now while we are at home. Invite your unbelieving friend or neighbor over. Check their temperature first, but invite them over and make a disciple of them. We have an opportunity to be the church at home. And what better way to increase the flock than to do so while we're spread out. We are to follow our Savior. But I, I close with this in this final plea. Not only to my brothers and sisters who are part of the 99, that is our task to go and find the lost ones. We are, we are not to stay idle, and we are definitely not to be the Pharisee. We're to go and make disciples. But my pleading is this to one who may be watching today who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who maybe have stumbled into this live stream, may see this sometime later. I want you to know how valuable you are to Jesus. 
You may have been cursing him and rejecting him and think he is mythical and hate him and hate his followers and hate everything about the church. You may hate yourself. You may hate your circumstances. You may be in a world of hate right now. It's because you're hurt and you're in pain. I want you to know, no matter what this world tells you, you are of extreme importance to God. And he wants you. And it's not as the enemy has been telling you to enslave you into something that would be, quote, unfun or puritanical. He wants you home. He wants you safe. He wants you in his arms. He wants to heal your wounds. He wants to encourage your spirit. He wants to take away the anxiety and the depression. And he wants to give you a safe space. He wants to put you on his shoulders and bear up every problem. You're that valuable to him. And if you recognize that value today, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking into your heart. Today's the day. He says, confess your sins, repent, and believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, was raised by God on the third day, and now sits at the glorious right hand of the Father. Believe this, and you will be saved. The shepherd's coming after you. Don't run from him. Allow him to pick you up today. And if you do so, I would love for you to leave a comment. Let me know so I can message you. Send an email to the church, info at minthillbc.org, so that we can reach out to you. And I can tell you more about this glorious Savior who's seeking after you. Let's pray. Mighty Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much again for this day and for your word and the opportunity to be in your house and in your presence, whether we are in this place or in your house at home. Lord, I pray that you would move in the hearts of the shepherds, less us, Father, your children, that we would not look inward, but, Father, always be looking outward for the lost sheep. Lord, I pray for that sheep who is lost today, that they would recognize a Savior who comes after them and seeks them, and, Father, that they would give their life over to him. And Lord, I pray this in the sweet and the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.